you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at ChicagoReader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at ChicagoReader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971 all righty then your ben jarofsky show for tuesday may 25th is just moments away but before we do this we need to thank our sponsors sponsors like seiu healthcare illinois indiana all righty then the chicago federation of labor our sponsors as well as the chicago reader chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of chicago where to go what to do what to eat what to drink what pot to smoke and political Columns like Ben Jarofsky and Maya Dukmasova, the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com, subscribe. And if you would like to help out this program, you can become a bin head. Find out more, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. You can either join the alley, the avenue, or the boulevard. Go find out more information on that. But hey, the Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. Tuesday, May 25th, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Freddie Martinez, and it's the return of Vincent Norman. And now your host. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this George Floyd Tuesday, and here's why. I think we all know why, but before we get to that, it's Tuesday, so I got to open like I always do. D, you have a good weekend, D? Yes, I did. It was a good weekend. I, I heard you went for a bike ride. Yes, That's I did. My, uh, sources tell me. Now that I'm living in Pilsen, i trying to go south. I went to Indiana, so it was cool. Yeah. That's some serious bike riding. But when I thought about it, if you're starting from Pilsen as opposed to where you used to live in Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez country on the 33rd Ward on the north side of Chicago, then going to Indiana is sort of like going to Promontory Point. Yeah, it was so, like a 17-mile haul. I saw the Mascot Hall of Fame. That was kind of cool. I, I did not even know there was a Mascot <laughs> Hall of I Fame. I didn't either. I just saw it. I was like, whoa, big goofy-looking building. Uh, did you see anybody? Did you have any conversations with anybody about uh, national health care, by the way? Oh, did I ever? <laughs> Mayor Rahm, I, I biked all the way around Michigan. No one cares about health care. Thank you, Mayor Rahm. 
uh, I watched a lot of basketball this weekend. It's my drug. I admit it. I take it to dull the pain of existence, which can be very, very painful indeed. Just so much war and hatred and poverty, to quote a song, and carnage in my beloved city of Chicago. People shooting each other all weekend. I sign up for ESPN and TNT, and I just sit there and I watch. Since we last talked, just run down a few. Memphis beat Warriors. Great game, Steph Curry. Bucks beat the Heat at the buzzer. Exercise those demons. Thank you very much, Chris Middleton. Hawks beat Knicks in the garden. Spike Lee jumping up and down like he's on a pogo stick. That would be me if I had the money to get those kinds of seats and if the Bulls were good enough to make the playoffs. And then there was D. Rose playing for the Knicks. He he hit the shot with about five seconds left. That would have looked like it was going to send the game into overtime. Please come home, D. Rose. We love you. And then Trey Young hit the shot at the buzzer, and oh well, so that went. Uh, many, many others. Devon, Devin Booker, John ja Moran. I could go on and on, and I will later. I wish you would have ran this uh, sports content by me on the the meeting. Uh, <laughs> oh, our pre-show meeting. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and oh my God, it's going to be worse when Vincent E. Norman's on. Uh, we're going to talk a little sports after we're done talking about George Floyd. Anyway. Uh, and more sports talk to you. I just want to say one thing. My bowling team won our league championship last night. Yes. Our bowling team won the league championship. All right. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the name man. of that team again? So, what's that? What's the name of that team again? Trouble. 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 Uh, so D from now on, you're going to have to call me champ as in we are the champions right, of the world. That is never happening. Uh, yes, my bowling team won the Timberlands Monday night bowling champions championship. We beat the Hawaiians to capture the title. Thank you. One and all. I want to give a shout out to my teammates, Norm and cap and Timmy and Tony with a T, but also I had to give a shout out to Bob, the owner of Timberlands, who was on the Hawaiians, the team we beat. I've talked about Bob before. He's a wizard of calculations. I've never seen a guy able to add up numbers so fast. It's like, that's my imitation. D of, Bob adding up numbers. Anyway, we thought we had lost game one to a team called Cobra Kai. Yes, that's their name, Cobra Kai. And in fact, we had lost according to the score sheet. But Bob, doing a routine double check, discovered a 10-point error in our favor. And instead of losing by seven, we won by three or four. I don't know. Something like that. (laughs) Great scorekeeping on the team of trouble. (laughs) I just want to say something for the record. I was not, repeat, not keeping score at the time. Although our guest, Freddie Martinez, might check into my emails and see what secrets I have to say to some of my friends. Freddie's like... I'm going to look into that, Ben. Anyway, I just want to say thank you, Bob. <laughs> and one more time, he was on the team that we beat uh, to lose. So it's kind of like ironic. He helped us get to the championship game, and then we defeated his team. And when I thanked him for helping us advance to the championship game where we beat his team, Bob said, and I quote, anyone ever tell you you've got a face for podcasting? Touchy, touchy. Anyway, good times last night. I woke up to face reality. It's the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. Uh, we'll be talking about that at greater length uh, with Vincent E. Norman. Uh, to me, it's cut and dry. This is just my perspective. Uh, I actually thought it was premeditated murder. I mean, Derek Chauvin put his knee on Floyd's neck and just glared defi- defiantly at the people who were begging him to take the knee off as George Floyd pleaded for his life. But obviously, not everybody sees things the same way. 
Uh, that brings me to Sunday's issue of the New York Times, where they did a special issue on George Floyd one year later. And one essay after another, uh, mostly uh, from the point of view that I articulated, uh, folks like uh, Rachel Hinton and uh, Hakeem Jefferson and Jennifer Judy, a moment, not a reckoning, interesting articles, very uh, provocative essays. Uh, here's one. Uh, the history of black rebellion shows that police violence precipitates community violence in a vicious cycle by Rachel Hinton. I urge everybody, to, excuse me, uh, Elizabeth Hinton. I urge everybody to check out that essay. But the one that really caught my eye was uh, headlined, What Do Trump Voters Think? It was a transcript of a focus group led by Frank Luntz, a longtime Republican strategist, and he assembled 14 conservative Trump supporters. This is a quote from the New York Times. I think that's kind of redundant, conservative Trump supporters, but whatever. Anyway, just to make sure, this is the conservative Trump supporters as opposed to the liberal ones. Uh, who, quote, reflected the Republican electorate. They're white, evenly divided by gender, more old than young, end of quote. And here's what they had to say about the murder of George, George Floyd. And I'm just reading these quotes, people. These two fo- quotes do not in any way reflect the views or opinions of Ben Jarofsky. Uh, so Frank Luntz, who is the, um, the pollster, he's a Republican strategist and pollster, he asked the question, when I say George Floyd, what word or phrase comes to your mind? And uh, Wanda, one of the uh, Republican voters, says, uh, that's a tragedy. And Diana says, painful. And Alex says, addict. And Larry says, murdered. And Josh says, divisive. And Nancy says, a sad situation. All right. So then Lund says, I listened to how you responded to my earlier questions about Donald Trump and to election fraud. And you were immediate. There was no pause. Yet I asked you about George Floyd. I know you all know who he is, and yet you were very, very slow to give me just a word or phrase to describe him. Why did you not give me a response immediately? Alex said, with Trump, even though he was president, he's much less of a controversial figure than George Floyd was. I read that, folks, on Sunday, and I'm like, wow. That is some statement. A man who got murdered for, at worst, passing off a counterfeit $20 bill. That's his crime, quote, is more controversial than the race-baiting president of the United States who stirred up an insurrection. I, I mean, I just read that. And I'm like, Trump is much less of a controversial figure than George Floyd. And Martha said, I am a mother and a grandmother. And just the mention of George Floyd names recalls that video. It's one of those things like if you watch some of the videos of the death of Daniel Pearl and other things like that, you're, you can't unsee. And so you respond to it when you hear the name. And Larry said, if I had a couple sentences, it would have been a lot easier. He was a drug addict who was a criminal who resisted arrest and put himself in a position where what happened to him happened. If he didn't resist arrest, it wouldn't have happened. I think that pretty much sums up how divided our country is with that comment right there. Uh, Then uh, later on, he goes, uh, Frank Lund says, by a show of hands, how many of you think that George Floyd was in some ways responsible for what happened to him? And 13 of the 14 people raised their hands. I don't know what George Floyd could have done that he didn't do to prevent those cops 
from killing him? I don't know what George Floyd did that prevented the cops that day from even just stopping him. If you watch that whole, not just the part where Chauvin's got his, the, the infamous part that everybody knows, his knee in the neck, go watch the whole opening where the cops come knocking on the door to get George Floyd. Drag him out of his car. It, for what? You write him a ticket. If you think he did something wrong, you write him a ticket. $20 counterfeit bill. Somehow or other, he contributed to his death. There's something seriously wrong with our country today that we're so divided on something we see right in front of us. Anyway, it goes on and on. I urge everybody, if you want to get a sense of how divided our country is, uh, you might want to uh, read this essay. It um, Clearly, these are not views and opinions uh, that you would hear on my show. And um, I like to think my show is pretty open-minded. You know, we're open. We have guests. But we do have limits. Uh, we usually only go, to, we consider the right to be like Joe Biden Democrats. So maybe I should do a better job of getting out more uh, and reaching out to Americans who don't view the world like I do completely different. And you know, I got to tell you folks, this is on my mind on a related topic. It's on my mind because I'm reading these interviews with these uh, Trump supporters and they all deny, they go on to deny that race played any role in this. And they say, they don't see color. They're colorblind. I'm like, how, you know, that's not true. And this has been on my mind because I've been dealing with the, no, the, the issue of anti-Semitism in this country lately, like particularly anti-Semitism on the left. You know, so many of my leftist friends will tell me, Ben, it's, it's all about we just oppose Israel. It's, it's just anti-Zionism. It's not anti-Semitism. And I go, okay, I'll grant you that you are anti-Zionist and you oppose the policies of Israel and the bombing of Gaza. I understand all that. But please don't tell me that you've grown up in this country and have never heard an anti-Semitic comment. I mean, come on. I hear it pretty much every week, if not every day. I don't get out as much as I used to. And it's the same thing with anti-black comments. People are like, I don't see race. Are you kidding me? It's the first thing any of us see. See, already I got issues. I don't see race, Ben. I'm just a colorblind kind of guy. Well, anyway, this is not the United States of America. Apparently, it's the United Delusional State of America. We got a lot of work to do, ladies and gentlemen. And speaking of which, of which let's get down to business. We got a great show today. Freddie Martinez is on deck. Yes, that Freddie Martinez. We we're talking about him all week. I mean, several times last week, Thomas Shuba was on the show. And for a while, there was a great debate. What do we call him? They go, uh, one of our view, uh, listeners, D, members said, call him a hackivist. I'm like, I don't know if Freddie wants to be called a hackivist. So I think uh, the first question I'm going to ask Freddie is, what are we supposed to call you? Hackivist? Troublemaker? Pain in the neck to Lori Lightfoot? Uh, he is the uh, activist. I call him an activist who uh, teamed up with his fellow computer geeks. Guy knows more about computers than anyone ever met uh, to help Chicago get introduced to some of Mayor Lori Lightfoot's emails. Yes. 
the hacked emails. We were talking about them all week last week. In my humble opinion, I put this in print. The man did a service to the city of Chicago. I don't know if everybody agrees with me on that one. Uh, uh, anyway, then Vincent E. Norman will join us from the Marijuana Hall of Fame. And uh, we'll be talking George Floyd, uh, Reefer. And, you know, I might get a few if, basketball questions in at the end. Vincent E. Norman's a huge basketball fan. So anyway, uh, Freddie Martinez is on deck. We're going to bring him on. Freddie Martinez really helped me when I was putting together my column on the hacked emails. Tommy Shuba from the Sun-Times said, you got to talk to Freddie, get him on your show. I do whatever Tommy Shuba tells me. So Freddie Martinez, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Uh, And uh, before Freddie, of course, that was Michael Girardi, uh, editorial board. We heard what you want to do. Now we'll tell you what's best for you. I'm not quite sure. Have the editorial boards of the two downtown dailies weighed in on the hacked emails yet, Freddie, uh, one way or another? I haven't heard. I haven't heard. Um, And it's a shame, too, because uh, they really do expose just how much the mayor's office goes to sort of mislead the public. and, And they should probably say something about that. Yeah, they should. Uh, I will not bore you with the recitation of some of the really weird editorials I've seen down through the years regarding uh, renegades in the press uh, who don't follow the orders. Uh, so we'll just put that up aside for a conversation for another time. All right, Freddie, first question. I told you I was going to ask you this first. Uh, we discussed this last week. Are you an activist, a hacker, a hack, hackivist? What do we call you? Uh, I mean, I, I consider myself a technologist with a, with a particular interest in transparency. So I like to say technologist with a transparency lens. All right. You got that, listeners. Uh, technologist. I'm going to write that down. So I don't <laughs> uh, all right. A little bit of a little bit of background before we get into the specifics of the hack to email, Freddie. Uh, how did you come to your mastery of uh, computers uh, and your passion for transparency and uh, getting uh, secrets out in the public? Yeah. I mean, we've been doing this work for like six years now. Um, but really, you know, I was kind of a bored software engineer um, in Chicago, uh, living and working in Logan Square, but looking for different things to get involved with. And uh, it really was uh, the police department sort of blowing off one of our public records requests um, that kind of sparked (laughs) a six-year battle with the police department, um, different government agencies. um, And and really, it was just this like one thing that we were interested in getting out there uh, that they just refused to give us. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, Ben, but, you know, I can be just as petty and as, you know, close-minded and, and, and go to the mats as, as much as these city officials want to. So that's really what, what started like six years ago. What was that particular issue? Uh, it was on some uh, warrantless surveillance that the police department was doing. Um, since then, you know, the, the law has been changed and things like that, but it really did expose a, yeah, warrantless surveillance by the police department. Um, so it was a good yeah. issue. No, to the point you just made about tenacity and stubbornness and digging in your heels, I completely relate. I am not a technologist, uh, nor do I pretend to be one. But on the other hand, uh, I've mentioned this more than once. Most journalists are like this. If you're told what to write, you almost instinctively go in the opposite direction or more to the point. If they tell you what not to write, you want to write it. Uh, if they deny you access to information that you think the public should have, you see no compelling reason why they're denying it, then you want that information even more. And I think that's something that you're getting at that a lot of activists share. Is that correct, Freddie? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about the hacked emails. Uh, 
take us uh, from A to Z on these. Uh, how did you how did you become aware of them in the first place? Sure. So uh, I sit on the board of a group called the Distributed Denial of Secrets, which is another transparency organization. And, um, you know, we keep an eye out for, for leaked archives. We keep an eye out for materials that otherwise wouldn't see the light of day. Um, and so we had heard that the city had turned over these emails to a law firm, Jones Day, and that through a third party, the third party had been hacked and sort of demanded a ransom from both the third party, Jones Day, and the city. And when they didn't get that ransom, they dumped the information on the dark web. Uh, so, you know, inquiring minds go looking for data. Um, and we found it. We found it and sort of made an archive of the data. Um, and that was about three three months ago or so. And we had slowly been like looking through the data. Um, and then because of other events that happened in Chicago, our, our timeline sort of greatly accelerated for release. No, uh, you mentioned the dark web. I got a boomer question for you. So pretend you're talking to a bunch of boomers with this one. Uh, what is the dark web? Uh, all right. So, so there's like, you know, things that you can Google that's fairly sort of straightforward. And then there's, you know, certain websites that you probably can't access unless you know, you know, these 52 character strings, dot onion, you know, sometimes the websites are for days or even, you know, hours and they can rotate. So, so it's really like, you know, you have to look at like forums, you have to look at, you know, talk to other people um, and then just sort of, you know, you never really know where, where you're going to find when you get there. Um, and so there's a lot of like, like sort of behind the scenes, uh, almost like meeting a guy behind the bar uh, trying to get information. Um, and, and that's kind of like what it, it was that sort of internet equivalent of that. Right. And so, so, you know, we, we had gotten some tips about where to look and, and we look and we see that the, that the data is sitting up there. So you got tips in this case, uh, before we get into the getting of a tip, how much of your time do you spend just surfing through, uh, <laughs> blindly looking for anything you might find, uh, that's hidden, uh, uh, in the uh, the back rooms of the dark web. Yeah, surfing the internet superhighway. Um, you know, uh, DDoS, distributed denial secrets. You know, that's kind of our mission. So, so hours and hours a week. You know, um, we have different people do, doing different things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's that's one of the main things that we do. Plus, like working with journalists and stuff. So it's it's a majority of our time. Um, with that group. And, and I, uh, you know, as part of the board, we sort of advise them on, you know, what's in the public interest, what's not things like that. So, so it's, it's a significant amount of time, you know, like there's, there's just so much data that's flowing out there, hacked, leaked. Otherwise, you know, you hear about a data breach every single day. Uh, so, so what's really important and interesting. Um, those are really big, big questions to ask. So have you ever stumbled upon something just routinely searching uh, that kind of blew your mind? I mean, besides these emails? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, there, there was a new data release uh, this week about the Metropolitan Police Department here in D.C. about sort of its its intelligence files and things like that. Um, another thing that we've published was the... Uh, the Porter archive, the archive that these people were using during the insurrection and 
uploading their 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 crimes onto the internet. Um, we we archive that. So there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, um, that we're we're very fortunate that a lot of people come to us and, and give us the data. Um, so so we've kind of had this reputation as a clearinghouse now. But let's just point out that Freddie just alluded to the fact that D.C. Yeah, he's born and raised in Chicago, proud graduate of Chicago public schools. Uh, but at the moment, he's living in D.C. So folks might be confused by that. Uh, but his heart will always be in Chicago. I guess I just said that, Freddie. I don't even know if that's true. You may yeah. like I can't I will never go back to that hellhole of a place. What's your attitude about Chicago? I, I love Chicago. I grew up in Little Village. It's it's a great, great place. And my family's still there. Um, I can't wait to come back and, and see what other kind of trouble we can get into. Good trouble. It's good trouble. Yes. As John Lewis will say. All right. So you got a tip and I know you're not going to re- uh, reveal your source, which is good. So I'm not even going to ask you uh, who your source was, but when you get a tip like this, like how, how does it work? I mean, is it an email, a phone call, a letter? You know, they really go old school with you, send you a letter uh, with a stamp on it. I mean, how do you get a tip about oh, like a, a trove, thousands and thousands and thousands of emails uh, from Jones Day? That was the law firm that uh, ultimately was the source of this information. How was how that tip uh, sent to you? I mean, sometimes you read stuff in the news, you go looking for it. Um, other times, you know, emails, old school way. Um, it's a it's a mix, just like anything, like any kind of reporting. You you sometimes get told, hey, this is interesting. Sometimes you go looking for stuff. Um, and, and in this case, we uh, had the data and we're looking through it and, and just Things tend to jump out. I, I don't know how it is for other people, but you read things that like sort of have this big red flag, like, yo, come read this, come check this out. Um, and that was, if I'm remembering correctly, it was the, there was a police shooting data by sort of the risk manager office at, at the, at the mayor's office. And so like immediately we knew that like, you, you never see this kind of stuff um, based on like what we know from, you know, my years of chasing the police department all over the country, all over the city that like these kinds of things you just never see. And, and that was like a big kind of red flag for us. I, the one thing I, uh, I, I don't understand. Help me out here. Uh, you probably, and you'll be speculating the way I am. We'll get into the city's reaction. They're not providing any information, but so just to help folks out. Uh, so Jones day is one of the largest law firms in the country. It's got democratic and Republican ties and connections, mostly Republican. It was Donald Trump's I always have to point this out, uh, election law uh, firm. I think, uh, millions of dollars, Donald Trump paid Jones day to handle his uh, election matters. So just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and in an, a, re- a matter unrelated to Donald Trump, uh, Lori Lightfoot asked a, uh, a partner uh, at Jones Day to investigate what the city, <laughs> what she knew and when she knew it uh, about the Anjanette Young rate, which I just uh, have to pause there, folks. Why, why do we even have to have an investigation by an outside entity of what the mayor knew? The mayor could just tell us what she knew. Anyway, sorry about that uh, tangent, Freddie. But that in the in the course of that investigation into what the mayor knew and when did she know it, uh, the city turned over thousands and thousands of emails or hundreds of hundreds, lots of emails to Jones Day. And so when these other hackers 
have nothing to do with Freddie, uh, went into, got a hold of the Jones Day emails. This was a smaller subset. The, the city of Chicago was a smaller subset. And I don't think those other hackers really cared one way or another about what was uh, those Chicago emails related to Anjanette Young and policing in the city of Chicago. Um, so I struggle with this, Freddie. Like, why is it okay? Help me out here. For Jones Day, some law firm that represented Donald Trump to get our secret emails but it's not okay for Benny J here in the city of Chicago or Freddie Martinez or Dr. D or any other resident of Chicago to see these emails. Help me out here, Freddie. Yeah. So just for context, so there's like a, a hundred gigabyte file with all of this corporate data, all of this Jones day data, you know, corporate acquisitions and mergers and all of these things that have nothing to do with the city of Chicago. And so what we took is we took like 95% of that out. And then we started looking through the, the documents about two years of data from four key city officials, uh, you know, high level um, city hall officials. And uh, that's really where the meat of it came from. And so we had, you know, 70,000 documents or so, 60,000 documents. And it was really like reading through some of these things um, you know, police shooting stuff, police misconduct stuff, um, you know, the mayor weighing in on COVID and, you know, we need to, you know, I think one of the emails was we need to shut down the lakefront because I drove from Hyde Park to Rogers Park and, you know, I, I hate it. So we have to shut down the lakefront for a year. Um, you know, we started reading stuff like that and I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. This is fascinating stuff. And then, um, and then the, the the police murder of Adam Toledo happened, um, and and based off of that, you know, we we sort of accelerated our timeline and said, oh, okay, there's stuff in here that we think is interesting, but really, like, this is stuff that the public will never see, and and it's really important to get it out. And so that's really how that that release happened, right? So we had a bunch of information that we found on the dark web, filtered out the the Chicago stuff, then saw this sort of you know, we were picking through it a little bit. Then we saw this, this really horrific murder. Um, and we're like, okay, this, this really just needs to go out there. Um, and so that was like the, the, you know, that was the choice that we made. Um, and, and why, you know, why is it okay for Jones day to, to see the data and not, you know, Benny J. I, I, I think it's really, yeah, obviously it's about power. It's about corporate ties. This, you know, it's about non-disclosure agreements. Right. And, and I think what I've tried to get across to the public about why this particular data release is so important is that this is data that you would never in a hundred years see if the mayor had her way. Um, you would never get it through a, a public records request. You would maybe get it you know, in a civil lawsuit or or whatever kind of lawsuit um, under a protective order, right? So you could never release it, um, and, and that's it. Or or someone would have to hack it and, and release it, which is what happened. And um, you know, whoever did that, you know, like God bless them and and may God reward them. But uh, you know, um, that's the only way you would ever see it, right? Like, and so that's really why it's important to have people who have those skills that like can, can go and find that data um, because we would never otherwise see them, you know? Well, I, I've often said uh, whenever I do these stories that I have an obsession uh, with stories, the struggle between 
journalists, community activists, ordinary citizens, and the city of Chicago to get basic information. I've been writing about this stuff for Freddie forever. And usually I long ago quit. I just raised the white flag. I don't have the patience of a Freddie Martinez or Tommy Juba or, you know, to go through and file FOIA requests. I'm just waiting for Freddie and Tom to do all the hard work. And then I write about them. Yeah, I admit it, Freddie, I'm lazy. All right, but be, be that as it may, the, the explanations and excuses that Chicago mayors down through the years uh, and their aides and allies have given to concealing information for the public. Freddie, I've never seen it, what, substantiated by what they're concealing. So in other words, well, these are very important documents that reveal very intimate discussions between advisors and the mayor. I'm like, I, when I finally get to read this stuff, this is basic boilerplate stuff that anybody would say over the air if they were trying to defend the, the mayor's positions. Do you follow what I'm saying? They may throw an F-bomb in there every now and then because, uh, you know, they that's, you know, that's what the mayor does. So they want to be like the mayor. But I've never seen anything that warrants even a redaction, Freddie. You know what I'm saying? And so one of the benefits of you getting access to these emails, number one, no redactions. Right. But part of me, I'll throw this to you, kind of curious, like, what do you think the city would redact if they had controlled the dissemination of these emails? Yeah. What do you think, I mean, Freddie? All of it, like all of it, literally all of it. And and so under, for, for the readers who may not know this, um, under the public records laws, there's this exemption that protects things like deliberative process, which is like supposed to be this kind of like back and forward that happens in decision making um, so that you could say like, should we close on the lakefront? Is that a public health emergency or not? Right. And, and like you should be allowed to have these kind of discussions in government without fear that, um, you know, the words would be taken out of context or that, you know, you would only see one side of the story and, and, you know, you couldn't have, you know, frank discussions like that. So that's the idea anyway. But practically speaking, what happens is that the city officials abuse these, these, uh, disability and just sort of redact out everything, 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 everything. Um, because what they're not doing, they're not doing is debating policy. What they're doing is PR spin and propaganda for the mayor. And so, you know, um, you, we have stories like, like what Tom Shuba uh, revealed that, you know, recommendations are just sitting on our desk for a year. Um, you know, people are like literally being, you know, are, are literally dying of high, you know, CPD high speed chases and the recommendations for what to do are sitting on our desk for almost a year and nothing happens. But, you know, when we were to, if, we were, if I were to ever ask for that in policy um, or those discussions about those policies, I would never get it because they're not debating anything. They're just sort of sitting there. Uh, but they know that this, this kind of ability to redact anything and everything is so broad that they can just apply it um, in any way that they want. And so, so, so yeah, that's, that's really why this stuff is um, so, so important because you would never get it like ever, ever. Um, and, and yeah, and, and really what they show is like what you described, Ben, is that, you know, they, they sound boring. Um because in a lot of ways it is, it sounds very benign because what they're doing isn't like policymaking. It's sort of like, how do we, you know, describe this thing that's, that's 
that makes the mirror look good. Um, and so that's, that's really like problematic for lots of different reasons. Yeah. The point, uh, the email that Freddie alluded to, uh, uh, I forget which publication I want to give a shout out to whatever publication was the one that broke it. I'm, I just can't remember, but it was classic. It was, uh, this urgent, angry email, uh, written by uh, mayor Lori Lightfoot herself, uh, describing a car ride. She took, I believe it was uh, from Hyde park along Lakeshore drive, uh, North to the loop. And as she, it was a beautiful day that I've talked about this endlessly on this show, Freddie, that beautiful day last March, I think it was, was like the first nice day after winter and Chicagoans as they do when it gets nice after winter, uh, <laughs> ran outside and the mayor was just outraged. You know, she was even angrier than Tony LaRusso was at Mercedes when he didn't, when he swung at three and oh, and didn't obey his, his, uh, right. his signal, it kind of some, some similarities. She was outraged that Chicagoans would defy her order command to stay inside. And so she issued, you could see, uh, that the, the, all the discussion, Freddie, about whether or not we should close the lakefront, there was none. It was an angry email from Lori Lightfoot. That's discussion in the city of Chicago. Very illuminating email. Do you remember who it was that broke that story, by the way? I don't even remember. I've yeah. seen so many. Cl- like, you know, what's interesting is that you st- the, the, the emails did have, like, so many stories broken. I, you know, I saw a lot of people on Twitter just sort of picking apart different things that they thought was interesting. So it's a bit, it's been like, that's how, you know, you kind of hit gold is when it's hard to keep up with all the stories. Um, so that's been like really cool to see. Um, and there's just been so many of them. Some of them, you know, really, really troubling. Um, some of them, you know, I, I guess, I guess, you know, you can't use the lakefront is, is maybe it's not sort of the end of the world um, in, in many ways, but, but, you know, it also, you know, there's a whole range, right. And again, the range of stories that you would just never hear ever uh, if the mayor had her way. Um, it's, it, it's hard to describe that, that scale, both of like really serious stories where people are dying that the city refuses to do, to do anything about to like very much like hallway monitor, like, you know, uh, stay at home because I told you to uh, type stuff. So it, it's just been incredible uh, to see. Now, uh, the mayor's response uh, was to what? What? How do I summarize her response? Her response uh, was to chide and chastise reporters uh, for writing about the emails to suggest without any evidence that there was some fabrication, that the emails weren't legit, that somehow other maybe Freddie Martinez himself had uh, typed them up. She didn't say that, but I mean, it's kind of like, well, who would make up these emails uh, if they're not legit? Uh, and then the final step was no comment from anyone in the city of Chicago about anything that uh, is uh, taken from an email because the emails were hacked or stolen property uh, and is a criminal investigation. So we're just not going to comment on them. Uh, what's your response to the mayor's response uh, to the emails? I mean, you'll hear here first ben, that we did fake those emails, 60,000 of them. We faked them in my free time. Uh, no, um, like, joking, like ladies, gentlemen, yeah, joking. joking. <laughs> can't see, you can't see the, the banter. It's banter. Um, so, so, Look, first, obviously, we have a First Amendment right to publish on anything that's sort of obtained illegally, as long as 
we journalists don't engage in that criminality ourselves, which we didn't, right? So we have this very clear First Amendment right to be, to be publishing. Um, so that's important. The second part is that the mayor has this sort of Wizard of Oz moment of like, don't look behind the curtain, which just sort of fueled sort of the, the, the hunger to go look for these emails even more, um, which was not very good strategically on her part, I don't think. Um, just my opinion. And then third, though, and I think this one is really important, is that I, I think that the, the policy of not um, commenting, is, it's just like bullshit, honestly. Um, you know, we've seen, like like I alluded to the story with, with Tom Shuba, where CPD is going on these high-profile chases and killing bystanders. Like, they're, they're playing, you know, demo derby with their cars, um, crashing them like two-thirds of the time, and nothing happens, right? And so very serious kind of stuff, um, pe- like literally people dying. And her, her comment is, well, the emails were hacked, and therefore we won't say anything. Like, that's fucking bullshit. Um, excuse my language to the young youngsters listening, but, but it is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's bullshit. And, 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 yeah. and, and, and the other thing I will say though, and this was really like my challenge to the mayor is that if you think that those documents are faked or that somehow they're one-sided, her office could just waive any kind of like interest that has in the other email chains, other discussions that they've had with other people that show a full side to the, to the story. Uh, but they don't do that, right? Yeah. Because it, it really what they're doing is, I would say, pretty indefensible. Um, and, and the stories are not flattering. And I don't think any, you know, any other way they tell, tell the story would be would be in their interest. So, yeah. so they they just kind of default to this no comment, you know, bullshit. I'll say it again, but that's you what say it again. It's uh, swearing is permitted on a podcast, uh, yeah. Freddie. But my favorite part was where you you apologize for the youngsters who are yeah, out there. The youngsters. <laughs> we don't yeah, want to contaminate their minds. Yeah. Uh, our next guest, Vincent Norman, is uh, on board. We're going to bring him on very soon. But Freddie, I'll close with this: uh, Is there anything? that you really want uh, to alert citizens, listeners to that's in the uh, the email that uh, has not gotten the attention that you believe it should get? Um, You know, I I think there's a lot of stories in there that really didn't get the the amount of attention that they should have. The uh, Block Club Chicago did a really good story about how the city was – Allowing uh, Hilco to re- restart construction of a coal of a coal facility after they blanketed Little Village um, in this toxic dust, you know, um, like, and that one I think really stuck out to me because, like, it I don't think it got the amount of attention it deserved. Um, you know, people just sort of I grew up in Little Village. People just ignore, you know, black and brown people because they're like, you know, pollution go that way. Um, the city hall, city hall just had this comment, like, shouldn't we be talking to people in the neighborhood before we do this? Um, and, and there's probably more things like that, right? Like these stories that uh, of, of black and brown Chicagoans who just get ignored, you know, the, the recycling plant, uh, the iron general stuff is, is also in there as well. And, and I think that that's, that's kind of like a, a thing that we should probably pay a lot more attention to. Um, so, so that was one that I really stuck out to me, both as a Chicagoan, as someone from Little Village, but also just like, you know, thinking about like what kind of stories are not told. 
Freddie, before we let you go, if folks want to get in contact with you, get more information about uh, uh, what you and your fellow uh, technologists, activists do. I'm going to call you activists anyway. I like that better than technologists. Uh, where do they go and how can they find you? Yeah, I mean, info at lucyparsonslabs.com. Um, that's our website. I will also, you know, shout this out real quick. Uh, anyone who has information about Mayor Lori Lightfoot or City Hall and wants to message us on Signal, the number is 773-364-1717. 773-364-1717. They can reach us securely there and give us any kind of tips they want. All right. Very good. Freddie Martinez, uh, thanks for coming to the show. And outside of said it in print, I'll say it on the air. Thank you uh, for revealing, doing what you did to reveal those uh, emails. Uh, I always say more transparency, not less. And every mayor of the last 20 years has agreed with me while he or she is running for office and disagreed with me while he or she is running the city. Mm-hmm. So, uh <laughs> Anyway, thanks a lot, Freddie. I appreciate the, the work for, you guys do. Thanks for having us, Ben. And, and again, um, you know, really do check these emails out. Appreciate it. All right. That's great. Freddie Martinez. Uh, Vincent E. Norman is going to join us after we take this break. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from his attic. I am live. I'm in my attic. It's really hot in this room right now. But D, I got the air conditioner turned off because uh, I don't want the sound bothering people. But I am sweating like a horse. Uh, it's been one year uh, since George Floyd, George Floyd's murder, and I just can't believe it. a full year has gone by. Man, just time flies. Vincent E. Norman, uh, I booked him to be my guest to talk about uh, the NBA and uh, marijuana and just issues of the day. And he was the one to remind. I thought it was this weekend. I've almost lost track of time, Vincent. And uh, just literally one day, uh, Vincent, let's just. Let's talk about I'm going to read you some of these quotes from uh, Trump voters that I started the show with and get your response to them. Just shows you that the world, not everybody agrees uh, with you or me, Vincent, uh, on the on these issues. But uh, just general thoughts, Vincent, George Floyd, one year later. Go ahead. Vincent, you got your sound turned off. There you go. Well, no, I was just saying that it's, it's amazing that uh, here we are uh, a year into it and, and to be able to see some of the progress that has taken place and still uh, talk about lack thereof um, with some people here in the, in, the, in the country that still, you know, haven't woke up to the fact that we watched a young man be murdered in front of our eyes by a Minnesota police officer. An individual uh, just could not seem to have respect for minorities, people of color, and just respect for life. And so um, knowing uh, that he's been convicted of the crime, unanimously um, it's progress, but in some way it's not say that it's not enough, but just in some way it just doesn't really hold uh, the accountability. 
because, and I say that because uh, look how many incidents happened after his death. Countless. Even as they were holding court, the young man, what, eight blocks away, was murdered. Taser, taser. Hmm. No taser. So, um, again, and, and that's why it just doesn't seem right. I mean, uh, I want to, you know, again, send uh, all the love in, from the heavens above to the uh, George Floyd family uh, and other uh, senseless um, violence uh, by police officers to the families uh, just throughout the years. So, black and brown people, people of color, minorities. And in some instance, uh, you know, the white race too. But we know that the, the disproportion is definitely black and brown people. Uh, and when you have officers, you put them in charge, you, you to serve and protect. That's what you look for. Mm-hmm. Put them to serve and protect and not go out and um, just senseless, senseless kill individual, unarmed individual black men and women uh, for no apparent reason whatsoever. So um, it don't seem right. You know, uh, there's a, a counter attack coming. You know this um, from people who want to deny that the police ever do anything wrong. And part of the counterattack, it, it's, it's a very complicated uh, a series of arguments that they raise, Vincent. But one of the counterpoints is that it's people like you and me who are the racists and that they are not racist. In fact, they're colorblind. They don't see color. And I can't, Vincent, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time articulating this. I don't know how you could grow up in America and I've lived here my whole life and say, you don't see color. I think it's literally the first thing anybody processes is when they see anybody, I'm just speaking for myself. I don't want to put words in your mouth, uh, Vincent E. Norman, but when you walk down a street, you know, like you're observing you, the race of the person over here, the race of the person over there, just strangers that you're passing on the street. You get, you're absorbing information like this all the time. And it's just so preposterous to me that people would just keep saying they feel like I don't see color. And then they'll quote the poor Martin Luther King. They'll take his quotes out of context to justify, you know, everything from killing George Floyd to doing away with affirmative action. You know what I mean? To putting right wingers on a bench. What's your reaction to people who say they don't see color, Vincent? Uh, Delusional. Um, not in tune with reality, uh, want to not deal with the issue front and center and not able to really, and last but not least, really grasp onto, you know, this country is built on nationalities of race, uh, individuals uh, in general. It's just what the world is all about. It's about Multicolor people. Is it? So uh, I'll read you this one quote and get your response to it. We'll move on from uh, George Floyd. This is a uh, uh, from a New York Times article this Sunday. A panel 
that was assembled of Trump supporters to get them to see what they how they f- view about the issues of the day. But one of the issues they talked about was George Floyd. Uh, and um, one of the I'm going to read you this exact quote from one of the participants in this uh, discussion. His name is Larry. For what it's worth, doesn't matter. Uh, quote asking him uh, to describe George Floyd. And he said, if I had a couple of sentences, uh, it would have been a lot easier to talk about this. Floyd was a drug addict who was a criminal who resisted arrest and put himself in a position where what happened to him happened. If he didn't resist arrest, it wouldn't have happened. I have my response to that. What's your thoughts? Um. White, white power, white power, uh, and white supremacists and uh, entitlement. That individual think he is entitled to make a comment like that, and it's okay to send it across the airwaves to other white men and women and to people of color in such a disrespectful way. It's white power. That's just, that's, it is what it is. To bring up the fact of what his past was and the fact that uh, not really understanding, this man never resisted arrest. He was clearly communicating with them, when, even when he was in the back of the squad car, that he was claustrophobic and he was having anxiety sitting in the back. Could they please take him out of the back of the car seat? He begged them, and they did. He said, you can keep the handcuffs on me. It's not the handcuffs. It's the claustrophobia inside this small box. Can you please take me out? I can't breathe. I'm having a very difficult time. So he communicated that, which the officers responded. And then what happened next, again, had nothing to do with him being a drug addict or resisting arrest, any of that. Again. I like to know that, I mean, this individual, get in front of the camera on national news, ABC national news, CBS national news, and utter those same words in front of the American people, in the front of the world. I dare you. I dare you. And I wish somebody maybe had a clip that could put it out there, but do a press conference. Get in front of the world and say that. I guarantee you will lose a lot of friends along the way. He'll keep a few. Yeah. A lot of close people will disassociate themselves with him. You really know that, baby. Yeah. This, uh, by the way, just so folks know, uh, I don't even know who the gentleman was that's made these comments. It's from an article, a transcript of a focus group that was conducted uh, by a Republican strategist of Trump voters. Uh, and so this, stra- this strategist, Luntz, his name, is very good. I have to give him credit. I don't see eye to eye with him politically, but he's very good at getting people to feel secure and safe to open up and express how they feel. And uh, now this group, there are no black people in the group. It's all white people and they're all Trump supporters. So they're really comfortable in their surrounding. But Vincent, I've been around people long enough today. You just give them a little alcohol and it frees them up and they say things. Uh, so I'm just astounded that the gentleman could say that uh, and then go on up with his 
fellow Trump supporters to say, yeah, we're colorblind. We, we don't see color. You know, uh, so we got a long way to go. Now, you said there is improvement and progress. Uh, and uh, Vincent's backgrounds in sports, uh, particularly basketball, has done a lot of work with Michael Jeffrey Jordan. We've talked about this in the past. Uh, and last year in the bubble, uh, the players insisted and the owners went along with this. Just the height of all uh, of uh, the protests of uh, Vincent. Uh, Black Lives Matter on the floor was painted on the floor, if you recall. It was on many jerseys. Uh, everybody was being an activist, etc. cetera. Uh, in your humble opinion, does the fact that the NBA uh, allowed these messages to go out indicate uh, that the folks who run the NBA have had a change of heart and really open-minded uh, about these issues? Or do you think it's just PR? What are your thoughts about this? You know, I think that uh, the NBA, um, they, they, I mean, they warmed up to the idea. They understand that, you know, 70, 80% of their players are African-Americans. Um, Black and brown. And so they were sensitive. They have been in the past versus NFL, but that's a whole other story. Cabernet. Anyway. So, you know, I, I think it was it was genuine. I think that they understood that there was going to be some resistance from some of their fans against uh, the idea of, you know, having Black Lives Matter on basketball court and so on and so forth. And I like to transition. You know, what I mean by that is that, you know, things are coming back to normal, but they continue to push the envelope of, you know, standing up for, you know, justice for all. And they continue to talk about the racial disparities, systematic racism. It still addresses that without putting it front and center on your TV screen, on the basketball court, or on the player's jersey. I don't think it's necessary now. Just continue to keep the awareness going, and we all can grasp on to what is real and what is true and what's not. So I think they're doing a great job. All right, Vincent. Now, since you mentioned football, I just have to say, uh, the last time you were on the show, I was trashing the hometown Chicago Bears. I was through. I was officially boycotting them. I said they're all prejudiced against a black man who played quarterback uh, and uh, trading up to take Mitch Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes. I was through with them forever and ever. And then I did a flip-flop on draft night when they took, they traded up to take Justin Fields. And I pointed out he's a black man. So it's like they either learn from their mistake or they really take seriously the fact that I said I was through with them. And I doubt very much they even paying attention to me. So I reversed. I'm back in the Bears bandwagon because uh, of Justin Fields. What's your position on Justin Fields and the Bears? Uh, I, I think it's a great, uh, you know, uh, signal to, you know, Chicago, uh, especially uh, black and brown people. You know, and and I and we should not have to say that, but it has to be said because, you know, there's a lot of black fans out there. 
Chicago Bear fans. And when you see constantly how the organization is ran, and a lot of times critical thinking is based on that particular white person that they are thinking about in such a disproportionate way of away from African-Americans, you got to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, and I say that because here we bring in, uh, what's his name? The guy who won the Super Bowl for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, oh, uh, I just blanked on his name. I thought you were going to say Andy Dalton, who's the, the Cincinnati. Well, let's just start with Andy Dalton. So we bring okay. in Andy Dalton after we bring in, uh, oh boy, from the uh, yeah, <laughs> the, I blank, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. That's how much I put. What's that? His name is Fleury uh, Foley. Foley. Oh Foley. yeah, is it Nick Foley? Yes, Nick Foles. I put it out of my mind because the Bears are so terrible. So we bring in Nick Foles in that yeah. pandemic terribly, but they paid a lot of money for that salary, and then we bring in Andy Dalton. After we finally realized that Mr. Bisky has proven that he can throw the ball past the guard. <laughs> he's been playing for four years almost. He hasn't proven it, but he's still playing. So we finally bring in Andy Dalton. I, I, I think that, you know, bringing in this guy from Ohio State is a good move. I hope that the top brass really uh, be able to let the general manager and let the people in charge do a job, give them complete autonomy to bring this quarterback along the right way, as did, uh, you know, Coach Reed, Andy, uh, did. With Mahomes, yeah. And and then, when he, you know, he's ready to put him in there. Now, I think he should start his second year, but I think he should definitely. This is something that I always question with, with NFL teams. You have a team playing. They get to week nine. They have a losing record. They started with that, that starting quarterback, and they continue to play that starting quarterback and don't give that rookie a chance to start develop to see real-time football. You know you're not going to the playoffs. So why not up, you know, train, which that's what Andy Reid did. You know, he kind of put Patrick Mahorn in there, you know, gave him some plays and let him see how things work. That worked out well. Went to two Super Bowls back-to-back. He's one and one. You know, could have been two and no, but that's a whole other story, too. But no, I just think they need to give him time to develop, work with him. And if the owners allow that to happen, uh, we might have something special here. Well, he definitely uh, played a role in it. I don't, don't, don't think for one minute that, that you was not heard or your audience did not echo those same words that why don't we have a black quarterback? Why are we not giving a black quarterback a chance? Yeah. Okay, you've done all this here, uh, you know, at Hallis Hall. Let's make a decision. So I think here we are. Yeah. Well, I was I welcomed it a back of the bandwagon. It wasn't that hard to get back in the bandwagon because as much as I was moaning and groaning about him, I'm a lifelong Chicago Bears fan. I cannot help myself. I can't really root for any other team in football but the Bears. And uh, and I say this, they were utterly pathetic 
at quarterback. Jim McMahon came out and said it, and I agree with him. Jim McMahon, former quarterback, he just said, this is a place where quarterbacks go to die. And it's like, yeah, they're just terrible with quarterbacks. So I just had so much hope about Justin Fields, and it's enough to get me back on the bandwagon. I'll tell you one thing I am on the bandwagon on, uh, and that is the NBA right now. Uh, and I'd love to get your thoughts about this great uh, playoff we have. We're going to do a, a, whole, a special show on this one coming up. I, I'm an old-timer. I've been watching basketball since the 60s, but I resist the temptation that a lot of old-timers have to say that it was always better in their day. Vincent, I believe we're in a uh, – these are the golden days. of ba- this, this basketball right now that we're seeing on a regular basis with – I mean, I just think of these young uh, – John Morant, uh, Trey Young, Luka Dockage. I mean, every series there's this great young player that's showing me stuff. Uh, I, I'm just thrilled by it. It's the one thing that's keeping me going in the face as I started the show. Let's start the, the, the sad news, the violent news, the horrific news in our country, the violence in the city of Chicago. Speaking of news – Yes. And, and I want to get into that that NBA. I do have some, you know, marijuana Hall of Fame. Well, we were going to close with that, but go ahead. Since you scooped me, go ahead. Well, oh, the, the big news is that you're going to put me in the marijuana Hall of Fame. Is that the big news? <laughs> well, uh, I'm always bugging. So, <laughs> so you know, um, things are going uh, quite well. Um, you know, New York made an announcement about recreation, and I mean that's not that's old news. But um, in Detroit uh, over the weekend, uh, I was really pleased to see uh, a, a black and brown company, Michigan Agriculture Services, have a completely uh, integrated uh, cultivating facility that's in development, $6 million they raised to do that. And so uh, that was really good to see. Again, uh, that movement and other movements of minorities in Michigan versus here in our home state of Illinois. So, Illinois, we need to step up. JB, we need to get that bill signed. We need to get a lot of things done. So, that was good to see. And then also, um, we had launched, uh, you know, with the plastic and, you know, the ban of plastic straws here in Chicago and other cities, other states, I should say. We launched ham tinsels. We had made out of hemp, uh, silverware, and also out of straws. And uh, so, that company has really been taken off in Long Beach. Uh, it's, it's, Something that Tim Hall is involved in as well. We want to save our planet, right? I'm sure your fans and your audience understands that. That uh, biodegradable uh, products are much better than uh, those who are killing our planet and the sea life and stuff like that, plastic, etc. So that was pretty much it. Now let's get into that basketball. All right, we'll uh, close with the basketball as opposed to marijuana. Uh, have do you share my uh, conviction? Uh, that this is a special moment? I think that <clears throat> you're exactly right. You know, uh, I can't. Now, I haven't really watched the season season, right? But this playoffs, like tonight I'm ready. <laughs> I cannot, you know, take my eyes off going from TNT to ESPN or just, you know, TNT, ABC, because it has been exciting. And to see the young talent, it reminds me back when uh, – with Mike back in his day, and you had, you know, Michael Jordan, you had Isaiah Thomas, Charles Barkley comes along, you had Larry Bird still there, Magic still there, and you had all this excitement that any given night you will see a superstar, a future Hall of Famer, 
on the court. And you mentioned Morant. I mean, the, the way he's playing, you know, I think you and I would agree. He will definitely be a future Hall of Fame. He's playing that well. And uh, like I said, uh, Nuke Dollar, you know, I mean, the players, they, they're young. They're like 22, 23, 24. And they're playing like, we should say grown men, but they're playing like NBA superstars. They're holding their own. And it's exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. No, when that when Trey Young hit that shot to beat the Knicks, first of all, I can't stand the Knicks, but uh, to beat the Knicks just after D Rose hit the the driving layup, and then boom, Trey Young, this twenty two year old with the quick crossover, uh, slips right around his man, and then a perfect floater. I'm like, how did this kid learn to do this? And added insult to the wound as he was going through the tunnel, saying, "It's awfully quiet in there." Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, the guards are going to be loud when they come back. Now, he's going to say, I don't know. Like, but, you know, that's, that's pretty bold. Yeah, that game's tomorrow. That's the one where everybody was uh, chanting in the at Madison Square Garden, F U uh, Young. Uh, and they weren't saying F. Uh, and he just, he just uh, scored 30 something points, including the game winner. And then he was like, putting his hand behind his ear. I can't hear you. And everybody shut up. Spike Lee didn't have anything to say. All right. We're going to close by getting your predictions. And then I'm going to uh, hold you to them tomorrow morning. I'm going to read them about uh, tomorrow afternoon, I should say. So t- tonight's three games. Let's see uh, if uh, Vincent E. Norman can, uh, knows what he's talking about when it comes to predicting. Brooklyn Nets versus Celtics. Who do you got? Brooklyn Nets versus Celtics. And Brooklyn, the Nets. Okay. All right. Me too. All right. Lakers versus Suns. This is game two in Phoenix. Phoenix won the first game. Uh, Devin Booker was unbelievable. And uh, Chris Paul hurt his shoulder, but he came back. So uh, who do you have in this game? Now, I'm going to say this. I would would say the Lakers, if the Suns did not have a general leading the army, and that's Chris Paul. Chris Paul's understand that one thing you have to do against any opponent is defend your court. Phoenix tonight. All right. He's going with Phoenix. I'm going to go with the Lakers. I think AD, Anthony (laughs) Davis, uh, is going to show up for this game. He was missing in action on uh, Sunday. So I'm going with the Lakers. And we'll close Mavericks Clippers. Man, the Clippers, what a bunch of head cases. They lost game one in their home court. Uh, Luka Doncic, which just came in, it was just controlled that game. Uh, And so it's pretty much do or die for the Clippers tonight. Your prediction, Vincent E. Normand. Um. I'm gonna, you know, I, you know, I picked the Clippers to get in the Western Conference Finals, but that didn't happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that, uh, you know, old Ty Lue and his job is on the line. Really, he's going to convince these guys to play together tonight, and they'll come out with a win. Now, will they win the series? I don't know about that, one, but they'll come out with a win tonight. I'm with you 100% on that one. Uh, the Clippers will win. There's no way they're going to go down two games, love uh, to. Uh, uh, Mavericks going back to Dallas if they do there and big trouble getting swept. All right, Vincent E. Norman, I want to thank you for taking the time to come talk to us. And uh, we'll probably bring you on for that NBA show a little down the road. All right. Let's do it. All right. Thank all right, you, Vince. Vince. 
That's great. Vincent E. Norman. Uh, he says, if I'm nice enough to him, we'll put me in that hall of fame. I'm looking forward to that. I also want to thank Freddie Martinez. Uh, it was a great talk. It was great talking to him about the hacking of the emails. And of course the man, the myth, the legend I want to thank him. Yes. The pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Vincent E. Norman and Freddie Martinez, uh, and, uh, Luka Dockett and John Moran and Trey Young will tell you back home and on. They call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And don't forget, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky or wherever else you download podcast you can always send us an email benny j show at gmail.com find us online at benny j show b-e-n-n-y the letter j show and you can call this program it's true we have a phone number 708-658-4788 that number again is 708-658-4788 Woo!